We own this town. I knew we were outsourcing my intro. Liquid Gold. A podcast all about beverage on the We Own This Town network. Wine, whiskey, well tequila, and everything in between. You fancy a martini? Well, we're almost uh, five years in. We'll be celebrating a five-year anniversary next month right here on Liquid Gold. And we've come this far to never have covered like martini. The fir- Oh, I thought you were talking about Jeremiah. Jeremiah's He's been like on the before. First, that's, never that's in right. studio. When we are starting this podcast, we had, we didn't really like know who we were going to get. We got um very first show. Uh, Jared. Uh, Jared. We had a list of five people. Jeremiah was second. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> but also, yeah, martinis. Yeah. And the traffic is bustling high atop the towers here at the We Own This Town podcast studios. Welcome back to Liquid Gold. This is a really special episode today. My name's Mike Wolf, your host, along with... Kenneth Edmund. Kenneth in the house. You'll also hear the uh, lovely vocal stylings of the Rolls-Royce voice, Sophia. Today we have a very special guest. He's a master of the martini and many other drinks as well. His name, Jeremiah Jason Blake. He's a new-ish father... Mm. So yeah, he probably he probably needs one about now. We have drinks <laughs> yeah. that are chilling right now. They're just chilling. That's what you got to do with the martini. You have to make sure they're cold. All the booze that's fit to think. Uh, but Jeremiah, welcome. Number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is thank awesome. And happy Father. Thank you for having honor. Yeah, it's always good to see you guys. It's great to have you. What I think is amazing about your story and the martini is the fact that you uh, you were doing so much in the cocktail world, even going back 13 years, right? Or more. Yeah, a little um, bit more, but yeah, 13. But That's- you think about all the creative stuff that you were doing. You were really pushing the envelope. You were uh, you had this great drink and imbibe, the Daisy, mm. um, which that's the last time you came on was during COVID. And we had like a little phoner and we talked about the Daisy. And, oh, that's right. Um, yeah. You're famous, Daisy. But so what I think is amazing is you've done all these creative things. You've you've had this whole career. And one of the things that like, or, or your most recent stint was doing this whole exploration of the martini and all these different right. creative ways. But don't, do you find that interesting though? That like martini is probably the last thing you were thinking about when you were like doing all these like absinthe infused with jalapenos and... The yeah. Daisy with Amaro, working with different Amaros, helping to bring Amaros even stateside. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of crazy that eventually you just settled on doing all these amazing things with the martini. But what does the martini kind of mean to you? What does the martini mean to me? <clears throat> I think the best way to sum it up and the way that I've come to recognize or, or just uh, my definition of it is it's the most elegant of all cocktails. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also the most personal um, yeah. Everybody has their preference. Everybody has their way, and they're, um, you know, I think that that's what makes it such a, a challenge. And like you talked about, um, you know, in the early career, very bombastic flavors, and it was like it was almost like I had too much to say mm. in every drink because I was just excited, you know, yeah. and I wanted to do all these things. I wanted to blow you away. But then as you get older, hopefully, like a good writer, you learn how to say more with less. Right. Yeah. And good point. The martini really started to kind of you know become that for me and uh, I really embraced it and uh, love it for those reasons. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that. We we we're going to have to talk about like how does one order a martini cuz that's one of the things that like yeah. just people don't understand. Let's yeah. just order and, let's just order one from Jeremiah right okay. now. I would like a martini. Okay. Uh great choice. Uh, are you a vodka gin person? Uh I'm going to call the cops. This is the important question. Um, Yeah, it is. You're right. So, um, mm, yeah. Uh, Gin? Yeah. Do you like that shaken stirred? Mm. Well, James Bond said shaken, but I'm pretty sure Daniel Craig said stirred. So I'll go with Daniel Craig because he's my favorite Bond. Okay. Stirred. And then from there, it would really be, is it um, olive? What's your garnish choice, right? Are Mm -hmm. you going to do like a lemon twist? Are you going to do an olive, which is pretty traditional in the way that most people want it? I might take it a step further and ask, do you have a preference on vermouth? Mm. And then de- you'd be my hero. Depending on the establishment, what I've learned to do too is, do you have? Is there a ratio that you're? Into? Oh yeah, just taking yeah. it uh, one step further. But yeah, those are the. Do main you think things. it's dickish to go into a bar and be like, uh, so on the one hand, you could you could be very clear and cut to the point and just say like, yeah, I'll take a gin martini, straight up, stirred with a twist in olives. 
and there you're, you've got a pretty clear, but do you think it's dickish to go in and be like, I'll take a, a dry gin martini, two and a half to one, stirred, let it sit for a while, make sure it's cold, layer the ice. <laughs> like, how far? How far Pour it you? out. Yeah, that, yeah, that, 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 you know, that might be a, a bit much. But Pour it out and make another one. <laughs> I'll pay. But I think it, I I've think never that, seen that. That's I think great. that that also comes up, you know, when people are asking me, like, how to order a martini out. And I'm like, well, look around the bar. Like, does it, is it telling you that it's a martini bar? Right. Because if it's not, you know what you're going to get. And if that's what you still want, awesome, order it. Yeah. But if you're looking up and there's a nice selection of vermouth or they have a nice selection of spirits, is the person well-dressed? Is the bar clean? Mm-hmm. You know, do, does it look like that they are going to put some care into that? Mm-hmm. Um, I might inwardly roll my eyes if you ordered it that way but yeah. i'm gonna make it and yeah. now i know what you want and now we can have a discussion that way yeah um, very, i think that's the thing is people don't tell the bartender like what they want really a lot because of most people don't know yeah. uh the martini has become a bad game of telephone where it started off once upon a time and there's a friend in the business that has a theory that dirty martinis really came to prominence because people didn't know how to order a not sweet drink so they just went salty, and then because of that salt, uh, you just start to really learn hooked. how to that like makes something. Sense. Yeah, um, and that's not. There's nothing wrong with it. A dirty, filthy, whatever. If you want all of olive juice and a splash of vodka, I'm still going to charge you whatever. Like, let's you know, yeah. have a great time. You're helping. Uh, it's kind of fun to watch right. their their face swell um, over <laughs> yeah, the, the next two retention. hours yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I really don't think that most people know how to order a martini because they haven't really been given those options. It's either going to be an ice cold vodka plain mm-hmm. right like no vermouth or it's going to be gin on the rare occasion and the people that do know usually stick to something that's more like a two to one or something that's a little bit more classic but people are usually pretty sure what they want even though what i found out through my years bartending that maybe they don't really know what they want right and i gotta throw a shout out to ed kolb our master distiller over at nelson's because he would always when he came into holland house he was very very adamant uh like a 209 gin two to one Straight up with an olive, you know, like he was always very pointed about it. But you mentioned writing and I have this book, The Martini, by this guy, Barnaby Conrad III, which sounds like the name of a guy who'd read a book called The Martini. That's exactly what I was just thinking. But that's that's amazing. Well, look at his picture, too. I mean, look at Barnaby. Look at Barnaby. Look at this guy. Yeah. We'll post this to the uh, Liquid Gold Instagram. Born into the world. But there's uh, some really cool stuff in here and different excerpts from books. I'm going to read something from one of my favorite writers, MFK Fisher. This is her excerpt from uh, an essay she wrote for The Atlantic back in January 1949. And it's called To the Gibson and Beyond by MFK Fisher. Quote, the first martini I ever drank was strictly medicinal for threatened seasickness. And in spite of a loyal enjoyment of them, which may be increasing in direct ratio to my dwindling selectivity of palate. I must admit that I still find them a sure prop to my flagging spirits, my tired or queasy body, even my over-timid social self. I think I know how many to drink, and when, and where, as well as why. And if I have acted properly and heeded all my physical and mental, mental reactions to them, I have been the winner in many an otherwise lost bout with everything from boredom to plain funk. A well-made dry martini or Gibson correctly chilled and nicely served, has been more often my true friend than any two-legged creature. The tipple, however, can be dangerous. When about to drink one, I make sure of several things, but mainly how soon I can expect to sit down to a bite to eat. If things look as if they would drift on, if my host has a glint of pre-dinner wanderings and droppings in his eye, if my, host, if my hostess seems disarmingly vague about how to get a meal on the table... If all this obtrudes no matter how quietly into my general enthusiasm, I say no to no matter how masterly a mixture of gin, vermouth, and lemon zest. Mm, She puts it down right there with the lemon zest. Nice. If, on the other hand, I see plainly that I can relax, confident of tangible nourishment within the hour, I permit myself the real pleasure of a definite alcoholic wallop. That's like pretty accurate. Eating. Yeah, yeah, that's like, pretty good. You I have like a it. fucking great drink, and um, we well, got to know how time the night's for, gonna go. Right? It's freaking time for dinner. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it can. If you're hungry, it, it could be like a great precursor to like a roll, like a dinner roll. But like, definitely, <laughs> it could sour your stomach as well. Definitely, if, if the food's not coming. So you mentioned uh, two, and I want to get into this in just a sec. Well. 
yeah, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about the Marguerite cocktail. And uh, I'm going to mix up some martinis. Hmm. Okay, just give me one second. I'm, I'll serve you guys. You, you, you chill. I got you. It's got to be cold by now. Did you play um, chess with Jizza when he no. was over there? No, I don't. I had uh, to work. I don't remember what was um, happening. And I really, I really wanted to because they, they called me, you know, because right before quarantine, I was over at Bastion's little bar, and then uh, I did not want to leave that job. I loved working over there, but quarantine, and then uh, they decided to reopen, and I just, I wasn't ready. And yeah, that's cool. It's kind of a nice to. It was kind of Dude, a nice I had, like, break. Totally like, uh, feel you on that. I went to a concert. I went to that Nick Cave concert at the Ryman. Yeah, was that awesome? That was great, and the it was great. And the only other time that I went to a concert since COVID was another Nick Cave show ah. <laughs> in uh, in uh, Asheville. Yeah, well, I've been when part shows of the, started. I've been part of the crowds for so long on the service side. Yeah, that in that anxiety, but there's a barricade. Yeah, the partition. Can, the partition can, is fine. There's there's all there's all the things that I can do to manage, and I'm in my space, and I know my zone. But outside of that, totally. Totally. I could uh, work a show. No, no thanks. I could totally for me. work a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah twist. Yeah. I could totally work a show but, as long as there's But the going bear. brings this whole other thing. It's like, where do I park? Like, uh, you know, like, just being around strangers. How long do That's I have to good, wait? Am dude. I going to get a drink? Like, how much money is this going to cost me? All of Sometimes too big of an obstacle to, to overcome. Especially when I can make my own drink at home and I know it's going to yeah. cost way less and be way better. All right. Holy crap, Mike. These look uh, delicious. I mean, mine mine looks delicious. Jeremiah. All right, we have our martinis. Oh, these are beautiful. Cheers. Mm. Cheers. Yeah, there we Come go. On. We got the long arms. There, there, there we is. go. All right, guys. Here's to you. Salute. That'll do. Yummy, yummy. What, what, Jenna? Mm. What gen is this? So what's interesting about this is uh, this is a... You know, a batch martini that you can make. You can make this for your party. We talk about this in the book, Liquid Gold. Holiday drinking guide, cheer. Be sure to get out and uh, grab a copy of cheer for yourself or your friends, family, uh, for your um, for your dirty Santa. There you go. That'd be great. Mm. So we have this recipe in the book um, that's a really easy way to bottle a martini, put it in the freezer, and you're ready to party at that point. So we called it the party mar- martini. It just makes your party easier. And it is also relatively sim- similar to this Marguerite cocktail that, uh, let's see what book this was in here. This was one of the first modern martinis, the first kind of publication of anything that resembled a martini. And this was 1896. Thomas Stewart, he published a book called Stewart's Fancy Drinks and How to Mix Them. And he gave, uh, and this was in New York City where a lot of people think the martini came from. There are some other other ideas. We'll talk about the Martinez in California in a minute here. But uh, this he called this cocktail the Marguerite cocktail, which Jeremiah and I were talking about a little bit before the show. And this was two-thirds Plymouth gin, one-third French vermouth, one dash of orange bitters, which you could do worse. That's a really good start. So, I mean, you know, say you're doing... Uh, Two ounces of Plymouth, one ounce of French vermouth, and a dash of orange bitters. That's pretty much what the mar- modern martini became in the last, like, ten years, I'd say. Um, and they mentioned uh, Plymouth gin, unlike Old Tom, was not sweet, and French vermouth was very dry. Orange bitters has been cited as an ingredient of the classic dry martini up into the 50s. This uh, recipe, 1896, is kind of accepted as the first documented recipe of the modern martini. Um, so pretty cool, but there were also, and so you can take the, you can take that simple formula of the two thirds gin, the one third French vermouth, the dash of orange bitters, but the crucial part, and I know you preach this as well. What's the one ingredient in cocktails that a lot of people don't consider water. Exactly. And you've, you always preach that. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you're mixing a proper martini, how do you factor in the water? How do you get the temperature just right? And, and let me just add that, you know, we're talking about roughly an ounce of water per drink. So think about that when you're batching and putting them in the freezer. But yeah, tell me your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, for this particular one, you're saying it's a two one. Um, so it's super simple. So you're just two one one, you know, six parts 
vermouth, six parts water, um, and then two parts or 12 ounces for your typical 750 size. That'll get you there. Uh, plug that away. Uh, try to use a nice water if you can. Filtered would be great. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You're just going to get better results with that. Uh, at least 12 hours, but 24, I think, is best. Uh, 36 is what we try to do um, in some of my spots. Nice. Yeah, I love this. Yeah, this is uh, kind of more of like a two and a half to one, I would say, ratio. That's probably my favorite. That's like my home cocktail. I would do two and a half ounces of Plymouth gin, one ounce of Dolan dry vermouth or another French dry vermouth. And then I like the Dram citrus bitters. I absolutely love those. So I recommend those. They're made with glycerin. They're alcohol free. But I really just like them because they're so vibrant and bright. Um, I think you can find them on Amazon or you can find them at, at Dram's website, D-R-A-M. And then making that over a full glass of, uh, like a full mixing glass of ice, I would say. Stirring that for, what, 20, 30 seconds? Yeah. And then letting it sit. And this is the kind of the thing that I feel like isn't talked about enough where you, it's like that old school New York hotel bartender thing where you like stir it and walk away so that it gets cold enough. When you were you were doing all these creative things at the Continental with the martini, but how would you make one? And I know you guys had them like batch, but sometimes you you had to be just like making them for people. Of course. So tell me about your one of your favorite like methods and ratios. Well, so you asked me about like how much water and yeah. um, early, and what I wanted to say is in the my early bartending, it was so much what I felt like, and I hope this isn't insulting to any real musicians, but I would say that I was bartending by ear. A lot and I was going by taste and I didn't have a preferred method necessarily where I was strict but it I knew when it felt right and you would straw taste and you would you just kind of figure that out but that became an awful lot of information to have in your head uh, and to remember and sometimes you didn't get it right and then you disappointed someone and, and that always disappointed me in return and so really just started to think about that and to put that in and with something that is going to be so much alcohol forward Typically, it's going to be 25% of the volume is what I'm looking for. And I'm not great at math, so I try to keep my ratios very, very simple. Mm. And so you're asking me, like, you know, which ones are my favorite ratios? And um, my answer is depends on the situation, mm. right? Mm. If I, I'm a sipper, and if it's strong, I'm, I'm going to keep sipping, and I'm probably going to overshoot my mark. So uh, a 50-50, a one-to-one ratio, mm. if I'm going to have several, um, especially if I'm in mixed company or just kind of enjoying yourself, mm-hmm. you don't want to overdo it. Uh, so just a one-to-one. That's a beautiful drink. It goes down easy. Yeah, um, the 50-50 is one of the best like martini variations and also like could be a good bridge to the gin martini for people. Yeah. 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 Uh, and if you'll remind me, I want to give you a ratio for our listeners to also do a vermouth heavy martini when you're doing these services in case, you know, to soften the end of the night or to make it a, a softer beginning. So everybody starts off on the same page, you know, and that's like the good, uh, the mark of a good party, getting everybody together. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, what we learned, you know, back in the Holland house days and what we really peached was that two to one ratio, mm-hmm. um, which I love. But what I grew to, I think is my favorite is either a five to one or a seven to one. Seven, wow. seven to one for gin. Uh, so we're just going quarter marks on that. And so it, that way I can be a little bit more assertive of my vermouth of choice. Maybe something a little more expressive than Dolan, mm-hmm. even though Dolan, I think is great and mm-hmm. outstanding product. Mm-hmm. But a five to one, I think really gets you that snap, especially mm-hmm. if it's vodka. Um, so like vodka, sure. uh, I fell in love with uh, the Spanish style vermouth when I was over at uh, the Continental Vesper Club. So nice loose style yep. Blanc. Uh, absolute elixir and the Lustal Blanc and that with a nice lemon twist. One of my all-time favorite martinis. Just oh, Mike and I worked with that for a long time. Yeah, like, just good shit. smooth, Boss. silky. Uh, it's a crowd pleaser. Everybody likes it. It's very easy to get into. Doesn't take you away from your conversation. Doesn't get in the way of the food. But you can really just sit there and kind of savor it too, which I think is a is a beautiful thing. And the mm-hmm. seven to one to me is more like if you're wanting to sit down with a nice book. What do they use you know? for the style dries at like uh, Chirella? I want to say that that's right. It's still dry, but round. You know, it's got those nice citrus tones. It's got those nice um, elements to you that it it lets you know that there's some depth in there, but it doesn't dominate the conversation by any stretch of the imagination, which I think is exactly what you're looking for, um, especially in a vodka martini where a lot of people don't really want vermouth in their sure. vodka because it can kind of get in the way. Um, but if your vermouth has been properly refrigerated and taken care of, it's going to be an excellent drink. I just think with vodka especially, you want a little less 
so that you can have that creaminess of the vodka so you can really kind of taste the essence is it made from rye is it winter wheat like what are they what are they going with that so you can really get the essence of the vodka which i think is key for sure so one one cool thing about the uh the loose vermouth for the red for their sweet vermouth they're using angelica coriander seed melanin sage and gentian when you're using gentian you can make like a lighter bitter note by going super light um, so I do love that about the the vermouth or the Lustau's um, Moscatel wine. Oh, yeah. So it's a little bit more like the Italian stuff than I might have thought on the dry. Citrusy floral, a lot of floral notes. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's kind of like a bigger flavor than a lot of the uh, Dolans or, or the French ones. Yeah, it has a, that roundness, but it's not so round like the Italian. I always feel like the Italian is so round, which I think is a is a lovely thing when you when you want it. But what I found with those... Uh, Spanish styles is it gets you like right in between the French and uh, the Italian. But like you said, I love a good Dolan dry. It's one of my all-time favorites and my go-to for for Same. many a many a cocktail. Absolutely, it's probably also and the most one of the more accessible. Yeah, like, it, uh, yeah. Well, you can go is. into a shitty liquor store and pro- possibly find that if they have vermouth. One, it's something that I yeah. tell people too when I'm uh, helping people understand like how to make some good martinis at home. I'm like, you can buy those three, seven, five bottles. Now you don't have to worry about its freshness so much because now you're down to 13 ounces. Keep that in your refrigerator. If you feel like you've gone past that monthish mark, man, make some ice cubes out of them. Throw them in the ice cube tray. Throw those into your Where? stocks. Throw that into your pasta sauce. Oh, exactly. Get some more expressive. No. So now you're not wasting. You nailed it. And Great. you can buy more of those Hell 375 yeah, bottles, right? Yeah, let's, and then keep them nice and fresh. Let's talk about the vermouth. I think that's a great point because um, that's what a lot of people don't realize about vermouth, especially the dries. And I know even Baxter at the Catbird, you know, I've been working on this book project with him for two and a half years. It's going to be all about his tenure at Catbird. And he has all these amazing recipes in there. Where and they're very unique recipes. One thing that jumped out when I first saw a lot of his recipes was his use of sweet vermouth, and he was using like sweet vermouth to kind of bolster sauces, to add sweetness when he had a lot of umami, to add sweetness when he had a lot of you know salt and getting salt from kombu and these other things. He uses dry vermouth a little bit less, but for me, I love cooking with dry vermouth. Same. So if you're making chicken or you're making a sauce or you're deglazing a pan, yeah. And just like you just throw throw some wine in there, deglazing, and this is like pre-Thanksgiving. This is coming out on, this is our big pre-Thanksgiving Travel Tuesday episode. Nice. Um, think about the dry vermouth when you're cooking, just like with wine, deglaze your pan, add it to your sauces. Because you think about it like wine, you want to be cooking with wine that you would be okay with drinking, right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like you don't just want to use the shittiest wine possible if you're cooking with wine. You want to use decent wine, $8 a bottle, $10 a bottle, $11 a bottle. You think about what wine is. Now we can eat. Now we can eat. <laughs> okay, Sorry. now we can Good eat. Good fellas. Yeah, that's right. Shave the garlic. <laughs> yeah, shave the garlic with a goddamn yeah, razor blade, will you? <laughs> he shaved the garlic yeah. so thin. It would liquefy in the pan. Very good system. Very good I love system. Um, but yes, if you're, if Great you're, scene. I guess my point is, uh, if you're reducing and deglazing and using dry vermouth, you have all those herbs that are used in it. Especially right. if you're if you're using French, um, there's all these culinary herbs: thyme, rosemary, marjoram. There's all these cool like culinary notes in there, and you're getting so, the digestive aspect of of the thing as well. I, yeah, I've it's almost, healthy. Yeah, I've almost switched entirely to just using vermouth in the place of, of wine. Number one, it helps me go through it so I can get back to the fresher bottles. But totally. there's so much depth of flavor, uh, sweet or dry or blanc, whatever you want to use, just kind of matching it up. And it's, it's kind of fun just to, you know, play around. Totally. If you're making your Thanksgiving gravy and you're taking a stock and reducing it and reducing it and reducing it and eventually adding flour, making a roux, you're thickening it and you're going to add butter, and you might add a little bit of wine, try Dolan uh, French dry vermouth or another French dry vermouth or just any dry vermouth. I mean, a bolognese um, uh, vermouth is, mm-hmm. like, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's our vermouth uh, cooking tip for pre-Thanksgiving. Now, I want to talk about this place that claims to be the birthplace of the martini. Okay. It has been mostly debunked, but... Um, Jeremiah, you and I, we haven't done any like pre-show prep about this. I know that 
in your day, you were basically the Jerry Thomas of East Nashville, <laughs> right? Uh, I'll take it. Sure. And uh, Jerry Thomas was uh, somebody who loved the Martinez and was a just a pioneer of the cocktail. We we also shared a love for the Martinez's. Definitely, uh, and the Martinez is a great drink. Martinez history now pretty much accepts it as the precursor to the martini, not necessarily like the birth of the martini because it is so different. But if you want to make, let me get to a recipe in a second. In Martinez, California, right by the bar that claims to be the birthplace of the martini, uh, there's a plaque, and it says, On this site, in 1874, Julio Richalu served up the first martini when a miner came into his saloon with a fistful of nuggets and asked for something special. He was served a Martinez special. After three or four drinks, however... The Z would get very much in the way. The drink consisted of two-thirds gin, one-third vermouth, a dash of orange bitters, poured over crushed ice, and served with an olive. Humorous James Thurber once said, One is all right, two is too many, and three is not enough. Right. That's classic. So that was dedicated... Do you ever like... uh, He's been holding his tongue. Do you guys ever like hear these stories about like the advent of a cocktail down to a, like a day and an event. And there's like, you're just know, your like, bullshit meters are just like, you know, like uh, you ever watch like Goodwill hunting where he's doing all the math on the board. And then he's like, the professor sits down puts his arm around him. He's like, look at this. You imagine like for the advent of a cocktail, this guy's like, everyone's watching this guy. They're like thirsty. He's like, Oh, I did it. And everyone's like, stands up and applauds. <laughs> and then, like, there's a reporter with a typewriter. It's like, ah, send this. Get this to my Get editor immediately. It'll be just like a writer to be in the bar and writing it and then be like, somebody take this. Every cocktail. He's not going to leave the bar. I swear, every cocktail advent or like, uh, it, it kind of has like this event yeah there's there's a lot of like oh this this is groundbreaking he changed yeah everything from this day on well what i what i've learned about you know going into the the deep history too is i always want to because i want to know as much truth as i can but we're talking about drinking yeah. It's always cloudy. Nobody ever remembers exactly what happened the night before. It no had to have just been and like it's a, just kind possibly of a, an epic night, though. Like It, it could have been. Well, you think about this. We, had, like we a, had nights like this. Like a so, rugby team won. Well, most of the and, nights that we had like that, there was nobody there, and that's why we had time to create these cocktails. Yeah, but and, we had plenty of nights where we were playing like cocktail jazz, oh, yeah. where, where we had plenty of guests and well, regulars that were like, nah. I want something off menu, off script. Yeah. I want something you've never done before, this or that. And there were a lot of adventurous sure. drinkers. I don't know where those people are, where they've gone, but they're not as rehab. It's like the really yeah. that's great. But yeah, we'd have nights creating cocktails and then by the end of the night you'd be like, I made something with mezcal and yellow chartreuse and grapefruit, but I don't I don't remember what yeah. it was. Yeah. But it was amazing. Yeah. And uh and then it was you, that, you know, the next couple of weeks trying to like, you know, Trying to figure it out. Trying to figure it out. Trying to get back to that moment. Shh, quiet. He's working on it. Everybody's just <laughs> I like watching. I like the imagery of looking at the board, like doing all the all the math work. That's uh that's that's really funny. Yeah, like the <laughs> meme of the lady doing all the fractions. I love that one. Oh yeah. So this recipe for the Martinez, the precursor to the martini, I wouldn't say people have agreed on that it comes from near San Francisco. Um, this is what's known as the San Francisco story for uh, the creation of the martini. One thing that's interesting about the precursor to the martini is that this drink, the Martinez, it, it kind of lived on. And I would say that if you're going to go back 10 years or so, this was the drink that bartenders were ordering from bartenders. Sure. I can remember people coming in and ordering it and they were always like service industry people. It's a, it's a lighter drink. It's got a lot of finesse to it. Well, and, and it kind of shows and whether, a lot of contention about how, it should be made. Oh, definitely. Just like the martini. So all these ratios that have been yeah. thrown around. But this is this is the original. So the recipe, 1887. And this was uh, in Jerry Thomas's book where he talks about the blue blazer as well, mm. which I want to, you know, we're going to have to talk blue blazer with you as well. But the recipe for this early Martinez, it says use a small bar glass, one dash of bitters. So you could say that bitters would have been bokers back then. Probably some kind of Angostura-ish. 
So use use Angostura. That's fine. Uh, two dashes of maraschino. So that might be like a tiny teaspoon, maybe a half teaspoon. One wine glass of vermouth. And we're just going to sidestep all the history of what that is mm-hmm. and note that David Wondrich did a lot of re- uh, research about the whole wine glass and the measuring. A wine glass is two ounces. So that's, that's what they used for measuring. So one wine glasses or two ounce of vermouth. And by this, they meant Italian sweet vermouth at the time. Mm-hmm. Two small lumps of ice, which were more like rocks of ice. One pony of old Tom gin. A pony was roughly an ounce. All right, so you got an ounce of gin. So this is not necessarily a gin-forward drink. Shake up thoroughly and strain into a large cocktail glass. Put a quarter of a slice of lemon in the glass and serve. If the guest prefers it very sweet, add two dashes of gum syrup, which would have been a rich syrup thickened with acacia powder, which is still a great toolkit uh, for bartenders. I just add, never understood, like, how do you do the dashes? That stuff is so thick. Like, how, where, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that always cracks me up. I'm like, well, you know, I could have made yeah, this I'm trying. in 30 seconds, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm at another five minutes just trying to get these dashes up. <laughs> right. And in, in this book by Barnaby Conrad III, that needs to be its own drink. He's like, this doesn't sound very much like the modern martini. Barnaby the third. Barnaby the third. That would be a good cocktail. But it is a great drink. It's a vermouth forward drink. It shows you how much how important vermouth was early on to these drinks. And if if someone was to walk into your bar now and they said, "I know you, uh, you know what's up. You're a fucking great bartender. I'd like a Martinez. How would you make it? Mm. What would what would the recipe be? I'm probably going more gin. No forward. wrong answers. No, I'm probably yeah. going more gin forward. Yeah, on this one. Um, and tell me about the gin too. I want all the details. Oh boy, we're putting you on the spot. Yeah, you are. Um, <laughs> Mahon Carpano. Uh, I think you you're know, next. I think depending on the American dry, like that could be um, a good call. Uh, I'd probably reach for Fords unless there was something a little bit more specific on my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, especially considering like what type of vermouth are we going to use? Are we going Koki? Are we going Carpano? Are we going something a little bit lighter? Try to match mash everything up. Um, you know, and then um, a little bit more maraschino than what they're saying there, but quarter, half, just depending. Is it Marasca? Is it Luxardo? Like, you know, kind of where are we going? Just kinda, what kind of maraschino? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of filling that out. Okay. Um, on that, you like the Marasca? Uh, you know what? I, what I, I like about really Mar- liked it. What I what I like about Marasca is that uh, it's a little bit more dry than the mm. Luxardo. Luxardo's classic gives you that beautiful roundness, um, but sometimes you want to do something a little different, and it's a the big Luxardo. Boy can be yeah can a little be too too rich mm-hmm. uh just marasca is fun and maybe a lot of people don't know that that's a that's a possibility out there and it's mm-hmm. a it's a fun ingredient to use yeah for sure mm-hmm. love that um what else did we get it all i think that's it yeah. uh, i'm not doing a quarter of a lemon but i'm probably gonna do an orange peel yeah. um across the top um even though i'm i think now i've probably switched that to more in the glass first pour the drink on top just to mm-hmm. let it percolate through but mm-hmm. not cover up the you know the smells of the drink mm-hmm. um yeah i love that I, I think that's what i'm rolling with nice kenneth your martinez how uh, do you think you would do the martinez the precursor to the martini so many bartenders <laughs> favorite drink <laughs> or used to be uh two ounces uh mahon mm. um is that the spanish gin yeah yeah, yeah. wow yeah, um, Spain's getting some love on this pod that I did not anticipate, oh, but I love there's, it. There's I'm here for it. things. Yeah, Spain. <clears throat> if you're interested in Spain, go back to our season finale last year, the Sherry season finale, where we Ooh. talked a lot about Spain and a lot oh, about crap. Sherry, and that's a great episode. If we do put some so. Sherry in a martini, anyway, the um, tuxedo. Yeah. Oh, right, well, tell us your martini, and then let's talk tuxedo in a second here. My martinis, yeah. Your martini. Two ounces, two ounces Mahon, um, three quarter Carpano Antica, one quarter uh, Luxardo, double dash uh, orange bitters, double dash Ango bitters. Yeah, there you go. Wow. This is a big, juicy, delicious drink. I love it. And you're stirring that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. For me. All right, tell the people at home how are we stirring it, what we're stirring it, and what are we doing? Layer your ice. Uh, it's like uh, put it all in like one big glass or uh, some sort of container that you can throw ice in and uh, 
Just do a few cubes to start, a few cubes later, a few cubes later. Then okay. st- then stir a couple of times and then uh on the racks or uh or up. Yeah, I like mine up. I like mine up too. I like uh it, just to tie it back into the old the our last episode, I kinda like uh, Jeremiah, you say you like to sip them. I kind of like them gulped, like so. Just like a Guinness, I like to do like he's three, flexing a martini and like uh, three or four like gulps. Oh yeah, when I said sipper, that means that I'm going to keep sipping. Like there's no stopping. So those could be gulps. Those could be uh, that could be three drinks, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you touched on um, sherry in a, in a martini, which is a great. A great idea um, and has been done here and there over the years. Um, there was a, a country club going back to 1886 country club in, in uh, New Jersey, in Jersey city, 1886. And that's where a lot of people um, say that the first uh, tuxedo was made tuxedo being the Fino Sherry version of the martini. So two ounces gin, say Plymouth or beef eater, one ounce Fino Sherry, Two dashes of Regan's orange. You're going to garnish this with, with an orange peel. Add all ingredients to a mixing glass. Add ice. Stir well. Give it some time. Add more ice. Make sure it's super, super cold. And strain into a chilled coupe or cocktail glass. So that's the, uh, that is the tuxedo. A great martini variation. And I've also seen, in doing some, some research for this, I saw that uh, there's versions of the tuxedo. And I think it might be referred to as the tuxedo number two. Uh, that is all about absinthe. Mm-hmm. We're adding like absinthe and maraschino. So it's like this Martinez absinthe. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, so that's another one that you could look into now. Yeah. Those you were, just, were running. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say those were all considered just uh, the normal additives to uh, kind of improving a cocktail. So it would have been like a curacao, it would have been the maraschino or your absinthe along with your bitters just to give it a little extra dimension little extra flavor i mean yeah that's if you look in that time period like everything has you know one of those things in it yep they typically. had their little tools in the toolkit to add add a little bit of sweetness and yeah. a little yeah, character those, yeah absinthe will help dry something out um you know the orange will round it out and the maraschino will give it a little bit more sweetness and roundness in the late 1800s well yeah it's you know it's moonlighting just, is a bartender but also like uh the town's undertaker as well Tell us about, so you were running the Vesper Club, which was like a martini experience. There was caviar involved. There were all these really nice cocktails you were doing. You were throwing cocktails, which I want to talk throwing later. And some of that technique people could try at home. Maybe they can impress their family over uh, Thanksgiving break. But the name of that whole experience, Vesper, right? That means a lot because it, it goes back to James Bond lore. It's a drink that a lot of people, people like to call that at a bar. Right, mm, people like do. to call that drink, um, not knowing a ton about it. That it's basically like booze soup. Yeah, um, and it's super boozy. But Until the Vesper the... is this beautiful uh, excuse for us to use Coke Americano, since the Kina Lele is dead and the bitter Lele is not around anymore. So, but just tell us about the Vesper. Um, were you making that drink as part of the Vesper Club oh, experience? And were you um, just tell me about your uh, your love and experience with that drink? Because I, I do think it's super delicious and i do love making it i think it's a great one for serious drinkers right because it, it can be super strong but uh give us a recipe tell me what you think about the vesper while i go get us some martinis yeah uh funny enough uh the vesper was always my least favorite cocktail for for the longest i always for thought. for making like or drinking it, it like, just it just bothered me if you want a gin cocktail have a gin cocktail so you say like right? someone someone um, that ordered the drink would annoy well, you but also it was it was a literary device it wasn't you know it didn't come from a bartender it didn't come from this strong history you know dale de Groff did revive it for a brief moment and then obviously the movie um brought that back and Daniel Craig, and then I'm with the, you. And then all of a sudden, it was everywhere, and so it did annoy me for a, for a long time. I I just thought if you wanted a martini, let's have a martini. You know, uh, we don't need to pussyfoot around about it. And even uh, when I first told, I did uh, like uh, I, yeah, I always had a problem with the the cocktail because it had vodka and gin in it. It's like what what's the point of this like uh, 
It's kind of like uh, the whole like flavored vodka thing. It's like, yeah. Why wouldn't you drink gin? That's that's the OG. Well, we could do uh, um, an entire. Apple flavor. Well, we we could do an entire. <laughs> like we could, yeah, like. Uh, <clears throat> well, we, we could, could we could pick a gin probably. That is... <laughs> yeah. Well, we could talk about that too, and um, you know, my personal preference, and then what I like to tell people is, you know, just drink what you want. Like I I, I think that we're just at that point. Like drink what you want, um, whatever it is. But the thing about the Vesper. You know, I didn't think it was serious. I didn't think that it belonged in the, I didn't think it belonged in the lexicon of of classics, and so I didn't really mess with it too much. Uh, even to the point that uh, one of my first days at Vesper Club, I was getting messaged pretty consistently throughout the shift of how funny that my friends thought it was that I was working at a place called named after the Vesper. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um, but what are you doing, Jeremiah? Having so the recipe that we had there, which I thought was really awesome and super approachable. You mentioned boozy. This was set before I got there, but I came to really adore it. It was a one one one. Ooh. So to Respect. me, that wow. that yeah, actually cool. became a really soft and Makes beautiful, sense. lovely aperitif. You talk about a before dinner drink. Like I was in love with that, and people were in love with it, and then it it really encompassed a wide group of people. Right. And then it started to beg these questions with some diehard Vesper fans, you know, what ratios and everybody likes to talk about the way that they do it and why they do it. And it became a really fun thing for me. And I realized that just because it wasn't from a bartender didn't mean that that drink was any less valid, that it was important to people. And this helped some people get into gin, right? This helped people get into classic cocktails. This helped people get more comfortable or they just downright enjoyed it. And who am I to say that, uh, their enjoyment is invalidated somehow because I don't respect, you know, the origin story, which later I came to um, the opposite conclusion on that. So it's it's super fun. You can go heavier on the vodka if you want and a little bit lighter on the gin, depending on what you uh, have available. Um, you mentioned Koki. If you want to go soft with the Lillet, I think that that's perfectly reasonable. We use Lillet. And we're talking Koki Americano, yeah, Americano and Lillet. Two different... Right sides of the same coin um and what mike was mentioning earlier is that the lele once upon a time had the kina so it had a little bit more bitterness to it uh, now it's a little bit softer but i think the version in the book right yeah the version in casino royale yeah. had the kina lele which was way different than what you can get now right but yeah mm-hmm. and the cookie is the cookie americana isn't quite there but it gives you some of that that bracing tone but that is also what we love about martinis is we all know what it is but it can be had in so many different ways. And I think that's the genius of any Cheers. drink or any food, any recipe, is when you can make it a lot of different ways and it's still instantly recognizable as what it is. I think that that is what a classic is all about and what that means. So Yeah, that it's uh, malleable to yeah. all the different ratios. Right. That's a good point. And it's delicious in all of the ways. And right, you, know, you can steer your night accordingly. Liquid gold. Yeah, I know people who love three to one for a proper gi- dry gin martini. Three parts gin, one part vermouth. I know right. people like yourself, you talked about the five to one. Yeah, that's going to be a certain kind of gin with a certain kind of vermouth or whatever. That's going to be good. A one to one, the 50-50. That's a great martini. Uh, one and a half to one, totally works. Two to one, totally classic. Two and a half to one, probably my favorite. But one thing um, about all these ratios that you have to realize is... Like at Nelson's, we have a beautiful gin that's just for the restaurant and bar. It's 94 proof and change. Right. So to me, that changes the ratio a little bit. And I'm uh, less course. likely to do two and a half to one. I probably wouldn't do three and a half to one. It's super strong. It's strong gin. They have Plymouth Navy Strength now. I wouldn't be making the same no. drinks with Navy Strength. So no. proof is important. And gin proof does vary. So that's one thing you have to think about when you're measuring at home, when you're you know, like, well, I said two to one was fine, but like, well, what if the gin's 96 proof? Yeah, like, I think like was London Dries are like way higher alcohol than like American gins. Yeah, it uh, just depends, right? So, like, we talked well, about they taste Plymouth, like it, Plymouth at least. typically is like the Navy strength is like, uh, that's like it's right above London, most London Dries. Yeah, most right? London Dries are going to be between 45 and 47. I think you're really hitting more 47 ish. Um, you know, beef eaters a little less at 44, I think. Ford's at 45. Plymouth's um, at 40. Yeah. Which, um, that's why I think you can go You can go a little extra if you want. It's mm. the soft. 
Yeah, and that's what it is. You know, David Embury talks about that in his ratios where he gets through with the mixing and then what that ABV is by volume. And a 5 to 1 properly mixed is around 37%. Then you get to the 7 to 1, which I mentioned earlier, that gets you at that 40%. And that 40%, I think, is when you get that high drinkability. Um, You know, we all love those big flavors, and that's why we do what we do, and uh, we can kind of skew that way. But I think for the longevity of a night, trying to keep it in that um, responsible level, um, number one, I think you get more drinks. I'd rather have more drinks than more alcohol, personally. You get uh, more because, flavor. Yeah, I want the flavor. That's that's what I love about this uh, is the flavor. The uh, inebriation or the uh, buzz is the bonus to uh, all those delicious flavors, right? And so yep. um, <clears throat> 100%, um, the um, percentage of alcohol is, is huge. And again, that's where the Vesper, I think, really showcases something lovely is now you can balance that out. Now, mm-hmm. if you have a London Dry and now you're coming in with your vodka, which is almost always 40%, now you can kind of wrangle that beast in a little bit mm-hmm. and have a lovelier or more lovely, uh, delicious, supple drink. Yeah. It's really interesting. I'd love to know, because um, he was such an interesting figure, <clears throat> right? Uh, guy who wrote wrote all those books, wrote Ian all the Fleming. James Bond work. Yeah, Ian Fleming wrote all those books. By most accounts now, I don't want to talk out of school, but nobody cares if I talk out of school. He's an asshole? He was a spy. Oh. He was an actual spy. Uh, so, so does that make him an asshole? Uh, let's see. He was a spy. He drank a lot. He wrote a lot. Yeah, he's probably an asshole. Definitely, <laughs> Definitely <laughs> got really successful. I, I'd love to know like what he was thinking when he created that drink. If he was just like, like was he subtly saying that, that James Bond, who when they finally did make the Casino Royale movie, Daniel Craig, that was like his first one. And he's a total alcoholic. And he's an alcoholic. Daniel Craig's version of James Bond is super alcoholic. He's also in great shape. So I haven't seen them all. Those two things work. But he was more belligerent than a lot of the other Bonds. So I think it's like Ian Fleming saying he needs gin and vodka. Like, is he like... So I don't know. I would just love to know where the thought process was on that. The end-all, be-all on this is I think you need to get Simon Ford on the podcast and uh, listen to some of his stories because he's he's told me some really cool things and um uh, you know i have a kid and i'm old and uh, i forget things uh but he had some amazing uh, love conversations to. at the vesper uh that uh, the listeners should be able to hear too i would uh, love that because that dude that dude like worked for plymouth that dude made plymouth for a spell which means he's to me in my eyes he's been close to god well yeah so and and Fort Jen is um you know it's pretty spectacular and he's a hell of a person too Definitely. um I always thought that the Vesper, though, was an alliteration, a, um, a literary device, meaning East versus West. And then like Lillet was France in the middle mm-hmm. where like mm-hmm. all the intrigue happened. And so I always kind of looked at it that, you know, That's that there cool. was the gin and then you've got your Russian vodka. Right. Yeah. And now we're kind of making this this delicious soup. It's like which an exotic... all of his stories mm-hmm. were kind of, you know, those old school spy stories. That, yeah. Know, Exotic locales, mixing and mingling. And yeah. I think I, I think that, that that's why that's I dismissed it early. That's good. That's good. And you I know, saw an amazing. I want to say I'm, I was wrong. It's a it's a wonderful beverage, and uh, I'm sorry to all the Vesper fans <laughs> out there that uh, I was a jerk to. Hey, I saw an amazing. If you're a fan of the Vesper, you just love booze, so you're on my team. <laughs> Lord of the Rings meme, a history meme about post uh, post Hitler Germany, and how like. Uh, Bilbo Baggins was kind of like uh, making volts Ru- Ru- Russia, and then it's oh. like, why can't I keep it? Oh wow, mm. wow, <laughs> wow! It was amazing. Like, I'll, I'll send it to you guys later. We need to come see you at Husk and get the get a, a good drink yeah, with yeah. that story. That would be jam it up. I want to. Yeah. I want to jam I'll, me up. I feel like there's some meat in there. So we're talking about these like crisscrossing continents, crisscrossing uh, different countries. I want to read something. Uh, from this same book we've been we've been pumping up this book today but i do think it is really special and unique um this was a gift from don so kathy and don shout out books are really great gifts um they are they make great gifts and i just thought this one it has all this info and kind of weird stuff in there that you don't see in a lot of books uh that i've seen anyway and this it has all these cool excerpts like we read the one from mfk fisher this is from my last sigh an essay by Louis Bunuel, famous director, incredible Spanish director. Um, and this is what he has to say about the martini. Curiously, I never drink wine in a bar. For wine is a purely physical pleasure and does nothing to stimulate the imagination. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Great opening line. 
to provoke or sustain a reverie in a bar, you have to drink English gin, especially in the form of a dry martini. To be frank, given the primordial role played in my life by the dry martini, I think I really ought to give it at least a page. <laughs> so he's going to write a page about the martini. Like, a cock- like all cocktails, the martini, composed essentially of gin and a few drops of Noily Pratt, seems to have been an American invention. Connoisseurs, who like their martinis very dry, suggest simply allowing a ray of sunlight to shine through a bottle of Noily Pratt before it hits the bottle of gin. At a certain point in America, it was said that the making of a dry martini should resemble the Immaculate Conception. For, as St. Thomas Aquinas once noted, the generative power of the Holy Ghost pierced the virgin's hymen like a ray of sunlight through a window, uh, leaving it unbroken. I know, we got, we're getting R-rated. Um, I'm just reading someone's okay. word. This is the great Spanish up, director, Louis Boudwell. <laughs> back up. Okay. At least one sentence. And start over. <laughs> You're going to make me read it again? It's so embarrassing. It's like... At a certain point in America, it was said that the making of a dry martini should resemble the Immaculate Conception. For as St. Thomas Aquinas once noted, the generative power of the Holy Ghost pierced the Virgin's hymen like a ray of sunlight through a window, leaving it unbroken. I'm probably going to edit out that I did that twice. Another crucial recommendation is that the ice be so cold and hard that it won't melt, since nothing's worse than a watery martini. For those who are still with me, (laughs) he wrote that, not me. For those that are still with me, said Louis Bumal, let me give you my personal recipe, the fruit of long experimentation and guaranteed to produce perfect results. The day before your guests arrive, put all the ingredients, glasses, gin, and shaker in the refrigerator. Use a thermometer to make sure the ice is about 20, de- 20 degrees below zero. Okay, I'm, centigrade. I'm getting... Okay, I'm with this. Don't take yeah. anything out until your friends arrive. Then pour a few drops of Noily Pratt. I'm suspect about this guy's vermouth program, but... Then pour a few drops of Noily Pratt and half a demitasse spoon of Angostura bitters over ice. Hmm. Shake it, then pour it out. Keeping only the ice which retains a fine a faint taste of both then pour straight gin over the ice shake it again and serve wow that's intense it is uh, this during, cocktail oh, bar he's not is going to close <laughs> by, <laughs> he's not done by the beginning of february his yeah probably you're right during the 1940s the director of the, of the museum of modern art in new york taught me a curious variation instead of angostura he used a dash of pernod Frankly, it seemed heretical to me, but apparently it was only a fad. That's incredible. That's Louis oh. Well on the martini. Jesus, he gave it a page. We could have done that in like three parts. <laughs> that could have been. Yeah. That could have been a whole episode. Yeah, that should be its own book. Um, so yeah, uh, pretty interesting. Like Noli people... Pratt, though. Shout out. Yeah, let's. Yeah, Noli Pratt is a good kind of poor man's Dolan. If you're I a, guess. Uh, if you're a if you're a bar manager out there, you can get these uh, Noily Pratt uh, 375 bottles, and uh, they're the perfect fit for cheater bottles. So you only really have to order like a case for year every couple of years. Nice. So nice. like Mike, nice. you ordered. The, uh, just like this is kind of like a little cute little story about Noily Pratt. You mm. ordered that like eight years ago. The amber. The case of it. The amber? Yeah. When they came out with the amber? I thought it was special. There still are lime juice bottles to this day. Oh, yeah, dude. Those are great bottles. Yes. They are great bottles. They are great. They got the hammered glass on some of them. Yeah. Shout out. Shout out. Thanks, brother. This is great, too. Um, Just while I'm entertaining you guys. So the martini, as it grew, as it grew in popularity over the 50s and 60s and became like the three martini lunch, it got to be a problem. And this was a, a, an anonymous inter-office memo circulated in 1967. This is an actual inter-office memo. I'm not making this up. Let me see how long this is. Make sure we're not going to be here for... Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah, pretty short. All right. Inter-office memo circulated 1967. This is like an episode of Mad Men. The martini menaces our civilization as much as the atom bomb. It may be slower but eventual destruction will be just as absolute. It wrecks more marriages than adultery, breaks up as many families as divorce, 
slays romance and causes unemployment. It remains undefeated. I love that. <laughs> the eternal champion, the ferocious opponent of all mankind. Only the foolishly courageous try to drink this wicked cocktail. But there isn't a lush alive who doesn't believe he can win a decision over the slam of olive-tainted poison. Whoa. The martini lushes, unlike the other species of rummy, seldom get surly or stormy. They fall through their clothes and become embedded in a coma that suggests a guy who has been bored to death. Lined up against the bar, they resemble a rack of hand-me-down suits in second-hand gents in a second-hand gents furnishing store. They are useless and cease to function as human beings after the fifth dose. The martini is the great equalizer. The greatest beauty turns into an open-mouthed, bleary-eyed blob of flesh. They, men and women alike, become remote with the vague numbness of idiocy. Conversation ceases as the vocal cords become paralyzed with the other organs of the body. The IQ of a martini stiff is the lowest in the world. The martini produces neither dreams, excitement, nor jollification. It is my belief there is only one form of life lower than a horse player. That a horse player who also drinks martinis. Dang. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's insane. I'll drink to that. Cheers. Yeah. Well. What do they know? Huh? Uh, you know, what's a horse player? <laughs> a gambler. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There we go. The gambler. Uh, gambler drinking martinis. You ever gamble on horses, bro? Twice. I do. Yeah, I, did. I do every I did. once in a while. I, did. I don't believe in it anymore, but I, I sure as shit did, dude. I made $12,000 off of it, too. Nice. Off of 40 bucks. Wow. Really? Yeah, I'm wow. so proud of myself. Yeah, I think I covered my hot dogs at a... Uh, I got in and out. Sounds like something a martini drinker would say. You know, like people that play cards and shit, like, um, they spend a lot of time playing cards. Spend a lot of time with the horses? No, I didn't. Total luck? I, I spent... Uh, no, no. I like to think that like I knew horse racing gamblers enough to learn about it without participating until I chose to. Oh, okay. And uh, well, a nice psychological study. Say if you like worked at a bar that only had horse gamblers in it, you yeah. would pick up something or you'd quit. Right. I picked up enough and then I quit way back in the day. So when I chose to do it you maximized the I effect mean, yeah it worked like uh, it, it's Beautiful. not a game of chance yeah. like uh like uh like cards or um or like rolling dice it's i've heard a lot about this now takes, uh i had a grandfather it's brutal listen to it's the, brutal it's better it's like, like about i'm against bloodline it. research i'm totally against right? it to begin with like but i just wanted to share i made some money <laughs> off of it yeah there. Yeah, see uh, what happens, dude. Make make someone. This is a good. This is a good uh, uh, lesson for those of you listening at home and traveling during Thanksgiving or going somewhere. Make your relative a couple martinis. They will tell you their sins. Let they me will tell confess. you something tomorrow. My, they will confess. My, come on, give Granny a kiss. Um, well, I thought it was interesting about uh, what you were saying about the the martini and how it got to become a problem because of what it embolized for so long. And if you if you think about, I try to think about this a lot. Is like as far as like the history of drinking and what people were drinking. You know, like the first bottled bourbon was a hundred proof uh, that was marketed to women. Uh, the there was much stronger whiskey out there. That was seen as ladylike, right? Uh, by the time we get out of prohibition, now we are with more Seagram's type spirits that are going to be mixed with a neutral grain spirit to be softer. Mm. Now, after uh, World War II, and you get into the Korean War, like you start getting you start getting highballs, right? Because mm. it was kind of uncouth to really have anything straight, and so it's yeah. very anti what it was before prohibition in that golden era of cocktails, if you want to call it that. Mm. Um, so. The martini was the way to get your groove on without all the messing around. Yeah, without right? being like vodka straight, but right. make it cold. Yeah, and people are like, "What are you insane?" Right? They were like, "Martini." People are like, "Oh." Well, and I think, and <laughs> well, it's just, easier than ordering a double too, especially if you've already been a drinking. Gin cold like, double. This bartender like, you, knows nuts? that you've been drinking, but again, and you're it's, a little it's, loose. It's like, the martini glass, right? Like it just says elegant right from the get-go so now you're getting the straight booze 
you know, and I've heard a lot of people tell me that it's because of the bracing that it slows them down and they don't, it's really kind of a prop for them. Yeah. And I've heard other people like what we were talking about, you know, two is too many, three is not enough. Yeah. That whole mindset, which I, I <laughs> firmly into that. If I'm on my third martini, we're that's there. It. You we're know, almost we're, there. We're, we're, we're heading to uh, Tunica or uh, we're going to be doing something fun. Oh, fuck Tunica. Tunica, we've gotten into gambling really easily. I love that. But it's it's really it's really interesting to me that that became so prevalent, and then with kind of like the lack of lore or the lack of understanding that vermouth started to get pushed to the side, where it's so vermouth heavy early on that now we see it. It's going bone dry to the point where people are will tell you literally when you're telling them about vermouth, they're like, "Oh, we've had that same bottle of vermouth in our house since my." you know, the seventies, Yeah. you know, and that's, you know, people associate that with that. Now we've gone through this bad telephone game, these really sloppy, not elegant martini glasses yep. becoming a less elegant drink. And now I really feel like uh, it's the martini time again yeah. and it has become elegant again. And now we have all these beautiful variations to share. It's just uh, fun just to see how throughout time, this one drink is, has morphed and changed and done its thing. but It's really interesting because food wouldn't have that, right? Food wouldn't have this thing that was back 130 years ago. So it was it just continues simple. It was the just same, simple. same way. Steak and potatoes. But steak and potatoes, steak and I potatoes. guess. But like, um, yeah. I mean, I yeah, you're right. You're right. That Chicken be, and waffles. Chicken and waffles. You want to okay. take that away? You want to no, take I'm those away? No, I'm just saying. Oh, you're attacking me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying that it's it's in food you wouldn't have something similar to that. Bacon that is and so eggs. simple. Bacon and eggs. But bacon and eggs never went away. And bacon and eggs never became like so hot. I'm just right like now. these are so just lame like food right pairings. Now. Like Well No, but you said steak and potatoes and I, I think you could probably like you know, go through like the gamut on that, like, you know, well done steaks or we're like really into prime rib was the thing for a while and then filet mignon and then it was T bones and porterhouses and now And it's... martinis go with steak and potatoes. Oh like I a mean, motherfucker. That's so. that's why you go to Sperry's, right? I mean Exactly. That's what I tell Shout people out. all the time. Like, you know, I want my martinis a very certain way years. unless it's at a place like Sperry's that's gonna be old school. Give me that old school straight up shaken vodka martini with that ribeye, and that's really the only time I crave that combination, yep. but they just go so well together. Yeah, so if you're asking the question, where am I going to get some old school martinis and steak and potatoes in Nashville? And the answer is berries. Oh, for sure. So add that to your holiday list. Out that's of, a good... It's not in Nashville. It's like Franklin, right? Or, no, or there's... Like, no, uh, Nashville, Bell, Bell How dare is, you? Bell How dare you the, forget the, the Bell OG? location? Yeah, that's the... He just doesn't like saying the two words I'm, Bell and Mead together. It's hard. It's, it's like there's an electric fence. He won't do it. For me, like, out there. Like. Yeah, you get zapped. He gets zapped when he gets in that zip code. I'm pretty sure I'm not welcome there. Well, let me tell you, buddy. They're waiting for you. It's Barry's. It's All right, time, let's man. wrap it up. I got to order a cocktail from... Are you? May I have a martini? Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. What else we got? That's it. Uh, how do we talk? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's shut it down. Jeremiah, uh, what's next for you, man? You've done some amazing things in this town. Um, you're, you've got an eye towards the future, and um, you're a new father, and uh, you're focused on fatherhood, so congratulations to that. Yeah, we're all you. really proud of you. But yeah, what do, uh, what, what's on the horizon? What are you, what are you stoked about? What I'm what I'm stoked about is um, staying with the craft and finding that balance uh, with the family. Um, you know, these moments at home are, are a little too precious to be missing out on. But there's been too much time, I think, invested and spent with the Nashville community and too many people that I care about to go in a completely opposite direction. So I think the best answer is to say... Uh, whatever's out there doesn't exist yet and it's yep. going to be up to me to create it like I have yep. all of the other things or have found these things that are, are unique and so we'll find something that's going to be a fun way to uh, connect with my favorite people to have a night with and uh, see and uh, that's something that I'm not excited to give up just yet Yeah, but you know still being mindful of the, the family and, and home and I think that yep. there's uh, some sort of beautiful amalgamation there and uh, we'll find it and uh, live it until little dude's old enough to be a bar back then uh, I'll go. come out of retirement <laughs> there you go um, I love that well you're a master of craft much respect for all the things you've done well, likewise. and um, 
all the drinks, you still make the best Vukare mm. of anyone I ever knew. Oh, well, thank you. So I got to say, and if you make the best Vukare, you fucking know what you're doing. So respect to that. We already covered you, you could put that We'd kid to work like way sooner than just bar backing. Like, uh, <laughs> you ever heard about little little mowers, like uh, lawnmowers for taught like smaller children? Well, I know the or, Dyson like, has uh, like the little vacuum get, like, cleaners, right? So he could be part of the cleaning crew, maybe. Yeah, we can work. Saying. We can work something out for. We got to bring that back. Like, uh, I'm no MAGA or anything, I, I, but I'm like child sure. labor. Is he's like no MAGA. Totally he like, says <laughs> the way that he finds things, he would find uh, he's all definitely those. Definitely not. I really he would, hope he would yeah. find all those little limes that are hidden away and all the bar tools that are lost. Like he would just find them. So maybe we could hire him for those those types of duties. We'll we'll close this with a, a really great quote um, about the martini um, during testimony before the Fulbright Committee in 1962. Senator William Fulbright asked, Mr. Ambassador, how important... Oh, Kennedy was still alive. That's interesting. Mr. Ambassador, how important is popularity to an American ambassador? Ambassador Ellis Griggs said, Mr. Chairman, popularity is all right if you like it, but it's like the olive in the martini. It just takes up space that could otherwise be used for gin. There you have it. Um, so I am fine with martinis Good taking job, up spaces that uh, that are reserved for gin. I like both. There's plenty of room in my glass for both the gin, the martini, the olive, the dry vermouth. I hope you've enjoyed this exploration. We've been looking at this for a long time. Jeremiah, thanks so much for being here. We needed a master. Yeah, bro, I love we you. needed Thank a master you. along for the ride. Love to bring you back at some point. Thanks for joining us. Check us out on Instagram at liquidgold underscore pod on the web at liquidgold.show. American. Later, tighter.